Hello, humans, and welcome to another episode of the Human Derrick Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my favorite beverages on the planet, that is coffee, Guadalupe coffee specifically, and Guadalupe roastery coffee even more specifically. You know, more nowadays more than ever, perhaps, where we get things matters in terms of the source of where it comes from, who is making it and putting it together, really the people behind the business. And that is one of my favorite things other than the delicious taste of the Brazilian roast from Guadalupe Roastery. But they really care about their people. In fact, the owner, uh, Brad Fossbender, was uh, a guest on the show at one point. Super great guy. Just uh, really, you know, it's a a love. I feel like I'm pouring love into my cup every time. And just I open up the bag and smell the beans, close my eyes in the morning, grind them up. They taste so good, but it also feels good knowing the people behind the business. You know, there's a documentary that came out not too long ago called Seaspiracy. And there's a lot of food documentaries out there and they haven't done an incredible job in the past to really persuade me um, into certain ways of thinking. However, this movie did. And I've, you know, I've enjoyed sushi and fish as a healthy part of uh, a meal plan for a long time. I've enjoyed sushi quite a bit, so much so that you can put me in a restaurant and I can give you the grade of a fish, whether it's A or B, kind of different levels of it, and have been challenged on that before by the owner of a sushi restaurant. And then he was so surprised at my accuracy. He said, sake bombs for everyone. But, uh, uh, you know, some of these documentaries, they, they put out not great information, and you can fact check them and you find holes. Now, this Seaspiracy movie really moved me in a sense that I have now not had fish for several months. And one of the things it really made me do too is is start to think more and more about the products that I have in my house regularly, where they come from, who's behind them. Um, You know, is the packaging even accurate and real? You know, you watch that movie, Seaspiracy, and you realize things like Dolphin Safe is a a scam in a sense, or or can be. Can you know do your own fact checking? Um, but so when I when I think about quality products, it is I have a, a sense of comfort and safety when it comes to where this coffee comes from, quality people, and quality coffee farms, and just uh, really great folks. So Guadalupe Coffee Roaster, you can go to their website and use my name D E. R-E-K, Derek, D-E-R-E-K, to get 10% off your order. They have coffee grounds, coffee uh, beans, whole beans. They've got merch, all kinds of stuff. So check them out, guadaluperoastery.com. Use Derek for 10% off. And let's get into today's episode. So today's episode is Stephanie Mara Sanchez. Super awesome uh, person, just a a really great person. And you're going to find out how we actually met because she totally calls me out on that. Um, She came down from LA to do an episode and stop by studio. Pretty cool. You may recognize her from some shows on the television, uh, like uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for the people. She's a pretty cool IMDB history. She's also a a Navy veteran. So uh, she has a tremendous background. She's a TV journalist, just really all around great person, super hard worker, very dedicated to her craft and being great at what she does and and obviously very passionate about it too. And I think that will come across as you listen to today's episode. So 
have fun and enjoy and here we go see this is the real secret of life to be completely engaged with the here and now everybody wants to fulfill the highest truest expression of yourself it, it, it was all a dream today is about the power of you you've now entered the human dedic podcast is riding a pony <laughs> he's riding a pony <laughs> that would be that would be quite a Derek safe. got a new chair i did i did ride a donkey once mm. yeah have you ever ridden a donkey i haven't you ever ridden a pony yes it's a good song by the way was that a, <laughs> did you write that? I did, just now. I just composed it. It's an original. Mm-hmm. So, hey, welcome aboard. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. This is a learning experience with the new setup. So I'm like, oh. Oh, you mean the table? Do you hear yeah, that? that I just set the glass on. It was like, yeah. boom. There are these things right here called shock mounts. And the only one that has it is the microphone we're not using. So, that's excellent. We'll figure it out. Okay, I'll just be gentle. You seem like a gentle person. Yes. Are you? Very. I, I don't know why I felt defensive in that. Like, I feel like it's obvious. <laughs> I'm, 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 hmm. I'm like, why are you even asking? <laughs> Although, I am aggressive, but not... Just in my communication, you know, like I like touchy and like I want people to pay attention. So I would say I'm aggressive in that I want to communicate and connect, but I'm really gentle. I felt very attacked when you uh, were trying to decide between tea or coffee. You did? Very aggressive communication. It was, right? (laughs) (laughs) I tried to be really chill about it, but then you're like, well... I have many options. Overwhelming. Uh, yeah, I'm like, I've made a decision. Why are you giving me more options? I just, I made a decision. Well, let's see how strong your thinking was. Test it out. Oh. Yeah. I was pretty decisive. You did a good job. I was pretty proud because some Thank people you. will just get overwhelmed. And I think they or they go, whatever's easiest, mm-hmm. which that's the worst thing a man wants to hear because they can't provide. <laughs> And men like to provide. Mm -hmm. So if you tell them this is what I want, then they can provide. But women so often are like, that's fine, whatever. And then they're not happy with the outcome. (laughs) Well, and I, like, I don't mind making a decision for people, too. I have no problem disinfecting me. If they're unhappy, you should have made a decision. But I think it also depends on how well you know somebody sometimes. You get a feeling like it, uh... Some people will get offended if you make the decision for them. Well, I don't know. Okay, let's do this. Well, I don't want to, you know, then it starts to unravel and unroll. And so, you know, humans are sloppy when it comes to those things. Well, we just want to be liked. And so we're always trying to please. But the more comfortable we are with someone, it's easier to be like, this is what I want. Or they already know. Mm. You know, like if it's your spouse, not that I've ever had a spouse, but people that I know that are married. <laughs> Heard of this marriage thing. Yeah, the people that I know that are married, they know what they're what each other likes most of the time. And they know what you know where the shortcomings of each other are. So I don't know. 
there wouldn't there wouldn't be a confusion about what kind of tea or coffee if you're living in the same household. You You've know? known somebody for a while, and you know, yeah. yeah. But you know, for me, it's not so much about being right. Like with that, like do you want this tea? I've got seventy three different teas, or do you want whole bean French press? It was more about making sure that you got what you liked without just going yeah, yeah, yeah to make things easier. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes people do that. You know, they just want to make whatever's simplest or easiest. And it's like, no, I want you to really, you know, pick what you really want. I think we should do that in life. Like, if you want something, make sure it's really what you want. Totally. Well, I think that's generous and thoughtful of you. I also think it's an exercise, really, like, even just what just happened. Because, yeah, I I was saying, like, this isn't one of the areas that I'm difficult in. But at the same time, (laughs) I could just be like, yeah, that black coffee nitro thing is fine in the can. (laughs) Even though that's not my favorite. Mm -hmm. And then you had black tea. And so, you know, I can, like, we get what we settle for. That's like one of those Mm. things in life that people say. And it's true. Anything, any area we're dissatisfied in is because that's where we've settled. It doesn't mean we're bad, but we've just focused on other things. And, you know, if you're fat, that you've settled in that area. (laughs) Wow. Right? I have, well, you know, I have a guy too. That's one area, but it doesn't mean. Straight to the. (laughs) It's because it's simple and cutting. (laughs) I have a guy recently, he told me, you get what you tolerate. It's sort of similar. I think it's the same thing. I think it's a more aggressive, since you like aggressive speech, uh, way of putting it. Oh, you get what you allow kind of feels like, okay, yeah, you know, I'll allow that, allow that. But you get what you tolerate is a bit, you know, like you're tolerating, you know, being satisfied with less. Yeah. I actually said settle for. Or settle, yeah. Which is kind of worse than allow, but yeah, tolerate too. Yes. Settle and tolerate. Settling is gross. Well, I think we do to an extent, well, we're focused on one or two areas. And then we go, oh, wait, but I haven't gotten to this. It's just, you can't do everything at once. So I think I think we do sort of settle, like, like you, for example. <laughs> wanting to have a wife and kids but you have so many other goals right so that you can't you're settling (laughs) in that area because you have other goals right Mm -hmm. now you're on the spot i'm totally on the spot (laughs) well that's a and i was actually going to flip it on you and say what's an example and then you just threw me right out there i think with with that it's 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 prioritizing right yeah for me it's a lack of settling too because there's definitely been times where i could have settled into something but thinking long term it was like, if, if these are the challenges currently, because every relationship has challenges, like here's all the really great things, but thinking five, 10 years out, you know, this is, these are going to become bigger problems if this person's values are very different or this person's needs or wants. Totally. And so if I had settled, you know, could be married with some kids right now, but I might be way less happier than I am. Yeah. I mean, I relate to that, <laughs> but I think, I think, um, when I was younger, I'm not going to speak as people in general, I can only speak for myself, but when I was younger, I, um, I stayed in relationships longer, even though I knew they weren't the one. And it's funny cause I couldn't even imagine doing that now, <laughs> just staying in a relate. Why? You know, like if, if you know that it's ultimately going to end, if you know that, what is the benefit? I mean, at this point in my life, I'm saying I can't judge anyone else. I understand sometimes people just don't like to be alone or 
you know, I don't know, they have their reasons, <laughs> like whether it's business, sex, companionship, friendship, but maybe they're not fully satisfied in the relationship, but they'd rather have someone than no one. But at this point in my life, I couldn't, um, if I know that if I can see the ending or why it would end, or like you said, I wouldn't be fully happy or satisfied. I wouldn't want to proceed. Why would I want to get attached to someone I don't ultimately want to be with? Yeah. It's like short term, you know, joy or I don't even call it joy, but just like pleasure versus long-term happening to the short-term gain. Oh, I'm going to have to rip off the band-aid someday. Or some people, I, I think they convince themselves like, oh, this is going to change. This is going to be different. And people can change over time. But when you meet someone, they're, they're pretty much right there. And I think the change is supposed to be more of a together thing. I mean, that's what I've been told. I'm also not married. <laughs> I have to scratch inside my nose. I was like, I don't know if that's going to affect anything. You mean you have to pick your nose? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was like, he might call it that. And I'd rather tell him than be called out. So I'm gonna do that. Yeah. Whatever. Do you want? Do you want like a towel or? Nope. It's done. It was just really itching. Yeah. Get in there. Sometimes you gotta do that. So I had to. I had to do it. It wasn't. I wasn't going for any product. You know. I just really had to scratch it. Uh, So, okay. As you were talking about, sometimes we settle you know, to work on other things, it, it almost sounded like there could be some personal experience in there. Definitely. Like I can see loud settling in certain areas of my life. And that sounds like, why would you do that? Um, and it's, I would say, I would call my settling areas where I know I'm not satisfied, but they're not the priority right now. So it's like conscious settling, if that's even a thing. Like I would say, for example, um, I've mostly been focusing on making progress in my acting and writing career. And I've been less focused on making money, Um, although I do make money doing that, but I haven't been focused on making money. So like I'm not satisfied with where I live, but... It's a conscious choice because it serves me right now. Like I'd love to move into a nicer place, but then I'd be paying more rent, which would lower my, I guess, flexibility and freedom right now to do what I want. Hmm. So, so it's, but I've actually gotten, um, recently gotten lighter about that. Like it was kind of burdensome for a while, like being like, hmm, I've been working so hard for so many years. I'd like to live in a nicer place. Maybe I should move. And then really kind of coming to terms with it and thinking, well, I don't, I have so much freedom because right now my money's working for me and um, I have free time to pursue what I want. And really I can just have fun with this space that I'm in instead of like, I, instead of it being, uh, oh, I'd rather be in a bigger place. I'm like, you know, how creative can I get with this space? And so recently it's become more of an opportunity than a settling. So I think it's also perspective. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, before living here, I had a 2,300 square foot house, uh, you know, tons of whatever you could do, whatever you want. There are multiple bedrooms kind of like, Hey, where's the bedroom over there? You know, and then deciding to have like want more flexibility freedom to walk places being near the beach you know all of those things matter and uh in this community 
where I'm at right now. If I wanted a, a bigger place, I mean, I'm going to spend a couple of million. Yeah. So, yeah, here. <laughs> totally. And it's a beautiful location. It's a lovely, bright space. And it's fun with all your books and plants and <laughs> you as the centerpiece. Um, threw in a bit of flattery there. Uh, <laughs> it does no good here. It does no good. He's the centerpiece. Just imagine, people. Just imagine. Um, what was I going to say about that? Oh, yeah. There's something really empowering about about doing things because they serve you and not because they're a cultural norm. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I am with that. Like, yeah, I could get a bigger place, but then I'd have like less money to, you know, do classes or invest or go to dinner or, and I, the location that I live is great. And there's like a downtown area that's walkable. And so it's, it's really just being honest about these are the choices that I've made and this is serving me. Well, it, I mean, it's really just thinking, you know, yeah. like you said, cultural norms. There was a girl that I was talking to last year and, uh, you know, one of her comments was like, well, where do you live? And like the size of your place, like there's no way you could have a family right now because she had a kid. I was like, well, yeah, you would just, like, when you make that commute to someone, you move into Adjust. a bigger place. But yeah. for me right now, I love this. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, a, it's just as simple as, like, making it your own. And then it becomes great. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I, the last place I lived, I painted and I, I did things with it. The place I live in now was supposed to be temporary, but I've been there longer than I planned to. for the lo- So for the longest time, I've thought, well, I'm going to move. Well, I'm going to move. And then... As I've looked into it, it doesn't wouldn't serve me to just spend you know a thousand dollars more on rent just to have a nicer place because it's rent. Like, what am I really investing in versus like, ooh, how creative and fun can I make this space? Mm. And it's the best deal out there right now, so I'm already ahead. It's so much about perspective. Well, in your area, it just seemed pretty cool. I mean, I didn't go to your house, but was, I feel like we were pretty close to the gardens, and that's just a beautiful area. It's a really nice neighborhood, and literally half a mile from me is a downtown area with tons of restaurants, and I mean, and it's a really safe, nice, clean neighborhood. Um, nothing against homeless people, because they gotta live somewhere. And I don't even mean that in any derogatory way. <laughs> But for some reason in Burbank, yes, that's where I live, stalk me, um, there aren't homeless people. Somebody's lonely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true, a little bit. Sometimes I'm getting better at it. Um, But but, uh, there aren't, it's meaning it's one of those kind of clean um, suburbs. And and again, nothing against homeless people. It's terrible right now. There are so so many homeless people um, because of the pandemic. And actually in Venice... In, in L.A., they've actually allowed people to live there. So people are moving across the country to live at the beach, you know, pitching their tents. And so there's tons and tons. There's a lot of homeless people in L.A. and in Venice. And you've got, like, really wealthy people and then homeless people living in the same. Here, though, like, the, I, there's probably a better term than homeless, but we'll just go with homeless for now. I'm like, I know I'm supposed to change the term to be more politically correct, but whatever. They're, you know, they don't have a home, a structure to live Campers? In. Yeah, I'm not trying to poke fun. Or now um, we're inviting, I think. Nomadic? Mm-hmm. How can we make it flattering? Well, I don't think it's super flattering regardless, but uh, transient folks. Does that sound? I don't know that that, that sounds better. No, that sounds pretty bad. <laughs> huh? 
Yeah. I don't. Um, <laughs> uh, creative living. Oh, you know what? People first statements. That's supposed to be a P thing, right? So we would say people without a home versus homeless people. But see, that sounds sad too. I think. Yeah. <sighs> it's a reality. Know. They're living on the streets. Look, for the record, I have. I'm not trying to be critical. <laughs> I'm not trying to be critical. Um, I, I just feel like it's so sensitive everywhere right now that anything you say could be used against you. Yeah, that's a reality. But anyways, here they have, uh, and I say they, it's not helping the cause here. here. I'm feeding off you now, uh-oh. But like I'm walking down to the beach, and uh, and there's you know, there's a couple folks that are that are regulars around here. One I'm pretty sure is decked out in Lululemon. And another one, when I go by early enough in the morning, talking like 7 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning, leaving the gym, walk down to the beach real quick before I come home, you know, watching YouTube videos on her phone. And I'm like, this is, I was very, like, the first thing that popped in my head wasn't like, why do you have a phone? It was like, how did you charge your phone last night? Like, where did that happen? So it is, uh, and some people are choosing that as a lifestyle. It's just a really interesting topic because it's, I don't think it's the safest thing for everybody. Not everybody is choosing that. There's a lot of other... It should just be a really... I think it has a big conversation. Um, but it's the almost like the wrong people are handling it. Yeah, there's. it is a big conversation. I think some people... There's a few people that are choosing like a camping lifestyle. Because, hey, if you can go camp at Venice, it's not terrible if you, ha- if you do have money and you know, can figure out how to charge your phone or this. I, I'm not, this sounds like I'm, I'm not trying to have fun with this. I, I'm saying, I'm just trying to think realistically of how to make it work. I think some people are like, Hey, I can live at the beach and I'm, you know, and, and I don't have to pay the rent prices. Yeah. Why not? If, especially if you don't, if you're not, if you don't have a complicated hygiene routine, <laughs> This is all sounding terrible. But, I mean, you have the ocean, bar soap in the ocean. That's what I'm pretty saying. Legit. But I'm saying if you don't have, if you don't have a complicated, like, oh, I need to curl my hair and like, mm. I guess that's not hygiene, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, you have the oceans, you can soap up and brush your teeth and, um, I saw you trying to figure out how to de, de bag your tea or de, uh, oh, I was just checking on it. I was uh, seeing, is it, is it really, you, I, I don't know if it's going to be blacker. It might just be that. Do you think it's going to get it's been there for No, a this is good. Okay. I was just checking on it, though. I was... Oh. I, is it okay if I put it on this wood Go thing? Go for it. Yeah, it okay. Get it in there. Got some vanilla. Some yeah, I'm there. going to do this. And then I have a spoon over there. Yeah, should be set. Here we go. Oh, it hasn't been opened. Ooh. Fresh. I just did a little... I saw you on the Buddha. I'm sorry. I was trying to be so gingerly. Is is this offensive what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be offensive. I think being offended is a personal decision. Right. I just mean I'm not offended. I'm saying like am I being offensive? It was a topic I saw on racism yesterday. Is this supposed to go to the other side? It's Uh, really thick because it's raw vanilla. So just put a little bit. Yeah. It's just you have to kind of maybe give and get a squeeze. Usually put in it. Is your tea really hot? No. Okay. I hope it melts. Oh, you know what? I'm say shake it up a little. Put the cap on. I put um. Oh, maybe that. I think that was more of the syrup than the actual vanilla. Like kind of the give it a little shake. Give it like a yeah. Do you feel how heavy it is? It is really heavy. Yeah, it's cold. Like there you go. Should be more syrupy. 
Get it over. You're not editing this out, right? This is no, key. That's, that's <laughs> critical. I do a lot of editing yeah. here. Yeah, see how different that is? Yeah. Yeah. So really now I don't want to make it all messy. What should I do with that? Just uh, put the cap on? I just yeah. put the cap on. You're fine. We're good. We'll work this out. You okay. didn't want honey, right? No, thank you. <gasps> you know what? I have your pass for the um, gardens, and I don't want to forget to give it to you. Mm, I think I have it too. No, I have a hard copy. Like, they mail it to me. If you hand me my planner right there to your right, I can give it to you. Oh, we'll remember. Okay. We'll take care of that. Okay, I brought it. It's like a little card. I know that's very, like, old-fashioned because it's on your phone, but... I like it. Things you can physically touch. They didn't capitalize the C, though. Mm, it's okay. Some people put the space, and, uh, is it, like, papyrus or something like Like, thick parchment? It's, like... Not laminated, but the kind of paper that, like, your health IDs, you know, that kind of, are kind of, like, shiny. You know what I'm talking about? Cool. We'll figure it out. <laughs> shiny, hard paper, but not laminated. Yeah. So you were saying with your, so some of your settling, like, living, because you're working on your acting and writing career. How long have you been doing that? Um, acting... About 13 and a half years and writing the last two, three years. Wow. Yeah. It's a pretty considerable amount of time. What did you do? What did you do before? Immediately before acting, I was a TV news reporter. Hmm. And immediately before that, I was an officer in the Navy here in San Diego hmm. and the Persian Gulf driving ships. Well, that's a, I mean, you don't even look old enough to have had so much experience in life. So congratulations <laughs> Thank with you. your complicated hygiene routine. <laughs> that me kicking the um the under the table was my protest to the comments, the <laughs> underlying comments on my age. But um it's because I look twenty two. Um someone actually told me the other day they're like, you're only seventeen. Um actually the one of a pilot I'm working on it plays but with that too, like um Anyway, I was going to, never mind. <laughs> With age, like trying to maintain a young 33, keeping your shit tucked in. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Anyway, what are we asking? Is this, is this pilot top secret? No, but what were you asking me? Uh, oh, you were. What were you doing before? So, yeah, because I mean, that's a, I mean, to be in acting or writing for 13 years and to make it sustainable in terms of you know, living and not uh, needing to do other things or pick up work and to give yourself the freedom. I mean, you're, you're obviously, you have some talent, some skill. Yeah, and I'm very lucky to have gotten enough opportunities and work to be able to focus on it. And, you know, I could say, oh, I'm also going to be a therapist and let me go to grad school and become a therapist. But... And then I'm making good income, but then so much energy is being dedicated to something that isn't my true passion. So I've sacrificed, I guess, wealth for my freedom of time, which is the most valuable thing to me, to be able to do what I want. I mean, I'm stable and I can, you know, pay my bills and um, I have investments, but I've chosen freedom of time as my most valuable resource. When you say when you say you're lucky, 
I mean, I'm a firm believer that the people who are the luckiest are generally the ones that work the hardest. So, I mean, how much of that, you know, there, there is the sometimes it's who you know concept that people lean back on or, or sometimes, sometimes it's real and sometimes I see it used as a, a lack of accountability. Oh, they got that because they know this person. Like, how much does that play a role in the work that you do? I would say it's consistency. There is luck because in in that, let's say you're auditioning for a project, you might be just right for it or not right for it. So you can be talented and do a great job. But like in my case, I have brown curly hair. If they want a blonde or if they want like a black woman, I'm not that. <laughs> so luck in the sense of like you're good and you're right for it. But the consistency part is the biggest because yeah, some people get lucky and they get a TV series right away or within a few years. But my peers that I've known for years that have been acting, um, those of us that work more consistently focus more on acting. The people that have like another full-time job, uh, like, you know, real estate or um, they do some kind of like financial planning or just something that takes a lot of energy and time, they, from what I've seen, don't get as many opportunities and don't work as much. And they also kind of lament sometimes about, oh, you get out all the time, you get out all the time. And it's like, well, I've sacrificed like maybe some of the material things that you have so that I could really focus and really progress on what I really want. That's that's kind of, I think you always have to make those choices and prioritize. Um, Senator, answer your question. Yeah, that seems pretty, I mean, well, it's, it's the truth of, like you said, sacrifice, you know, and there's, I don't know if there's some mystical power that rules the universe that says, you know, when you make big sacrifices, you are rewarded for it. Um, oftentimes I think it's a fear-based thing and we don't want to make that sacrifice or it's a discipline. You're nodding your head, yeah, about the, the fear. What were, I mean, other than societal norms, like what are some of the fears you overcame in order to put yourself in that position? Um, I was thinking a lot of things at once. So you asked me, <laughs> <laughs> what are the things that I overcame? Ask me that again. Yeah, what did I ask? Uh Will be you were not in your head, yeah. When I talked about like most of the time, it's overcoming fear when it comes to making a sacrifice. Like I don't usually sacrifices to me. It's like oh, I need to move here for this, or uh, the fear of of being alone to sacrifice. I, I, I can't, okay, let me answer before I forget what you asked me. <laughs> um, the f- fear, I, it's more like the f- I didn't overcome a fear. I've just I think as soon as I got clear on what I'm good at and what um, my purpose is. And as soon as I start to feel in alignment with what lights me up, my fear is not doing it. Mm. That so, so it's, so I'm willing to sacrifice, um, I guess, more stability, more um, uh, financial rewards for the freedom of my time so that I can be available when I get an opportunity and I can give it my all. And and I also, I'm a spiritual person, so I too would like to have a wife and kids, turn that into a husband my and kids. Wife. All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Get I do. LA real fast. <laughs> and, I, and I don't have that, 
but I'm a spiritual person. So in the times I'm really busy in my acting, I actually give thanks for the freedom of my time. Because if I had a wife and kids or husband and kids, I wouldn't have that. I'd be, ju- I'd be like, kids, I need to be alone right now so I can work on this audition. And mm-hmm. so even though that's something that I miss, something I don't have, when I get big opportunities, I'm blessed in a way to have the freedom to fully give my all to it. So I, try, I also try to always be with what is. Like, yes, I would like to have a family, but right now, like, for example, on Monday and Tuesday, I have to do auditions for a series regular, meaning if I, I could book a series and a guest star for a new comedy that's going to be on HBO. So those are huge opportunities. And I get to manage my time because I own all my time. Would I like to have a family? Yes. But what is, is I don't have that. So I'm super grateful that I have all that time to give it my all. And these are big opportunities that I've earned through just being consistent for years. You know, even though I haven't gotten my big break, I'm constantly getting really amazing opportunities. And that's from like casting, knowing me, having good a good agent and manager, knowing how to do the work for so many years. It's a tough business, as people say, that's a cliche. It really is. But if you're auditioning regularly for good projects, you're doing well. How do you... So there's a couple things in there, too, that really stood out to me. Is one is, I think you said you've been doing it for 13 years, right? And, and a so half. 13 and a half. So <laughs> in, in a lot of things, you, you hear, you know, oh, I was a 10-year overnight success or 15 years. So it usually does take some time to develop the skill set. So... Um, there's that, and then um, on top of that, you know, there there are people. Because I've I fought with this personally a lot. Like, okay, I see very successful people that do have families, you know, and they are they find a way to make it work. Like, how do you how do you think they pull that off when it comes to you know the kids waking them up at three thirty in the morning, but then still you know being able to get up early and, and tackle what they do? Well, I think. In every story, there's sacrifices, compromises, and prioritizing. So I'll just take, we'll talk about a family in the entertainment industry, for example. They have to be on set at 4.30. Ah! Most of them have nannies if both of them work. Resources. You know, so it's it's managing. Like, there's nothing magical about time and money. It's like, how much do you, how much time do I have? How much money do I have? What do I want to do with it? And you can only do so much. So those people that like seem to have it all, well, maybe they don't get to parent all the time. And to some people, that's their ideal. Like they want to be parenting their kids. But I think to be able to work, to to have a career, if both people have a career, they have to be willing to bring in an outside resource to help raise their children. There's just no other way. Does that answer your question? Uh, and, And like, I think you can have it all. You just can't do it all. Yeah, you definitely can't do it all because uh, I'm a huge fan of that ancient wisdom of they who chase two rabbits catch none. And there is a, a limited capacity for time. There's a, a really incredible guy named Dave Duran, and he's the CEO of this huge company at this point called Best Version Media. He has written a couple, at least one book on this, and he has a really popular article on LinkedIn called Legacy Achievers. And he states, and I've, I've seen this at least unfold you know, sort of watching people from afar, or even in my own experience, he says there's, I think it's five or six areas of life 
uh, like your family, your health, your finances, your um, vacation, your vocation, you know, your, your um, skill, your business, whatever you're doing. And it says the people that he sees have their legacy achievers of success, um, create big success over long periods of time, find a way to bring them together. For example, if you have a business meeting and you, you know, want to be healthier or, you know, mix those together, you would do a workout with someone or play golf, right? And so you're just combining them. Or if the kids want to go on vacation, you vacation to the film set destination together or whatever that looks like. And he, I mean, he spent a lot of time studying this and that's really his belief of, of how people break that down. They find a way to combine all those areas of life. So it's not, I have to do this and I can't do this. What, what I found for me, at least with like, dating and you know been engaged uh things like that was that was the focus part like you really have to have someone in your life that is supporting you too as you do those things um otherwise it can really pull off from the focus or someone that you can you know converse with and work through things together and that takes i think it depends on what your goals are obviously but someone to be very understanding you're talking about someone who supports your your personal goals in order to do yeah in order to mix those things together definitely like and i think that's a compatibility issue if you have goals that are not in alignment it's not going to work even if you're both hard working and motivated like if you know like uh i dated this one guy who's um i hope he doesn't listen to this um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not personal about him. It's just general. Um, yeah, he, he's a director, and um, <laughs> and he's he's a, a successful director. Um, re- like we get along really well, and um, I like him. But just even before going out, I knew he travels all the time, and he has kids out of state. So I said, hmm, I'm a little on the fence about going out with you. That seems like a really challenging situation to start something. You travel a lot and you have kids out of state. It's like, then how do we build something? It's not impossible. And I went out with him and I liked him and and like person to person, we were super compatible. But I'm wise enough to know that that's not necessarily like the odds are not in our favor. Because he already has a lot going on. It doesn't, I think, in, if I were to design his perfect mate, because he too wants companionship, he's divorced and would like to find a partner, he needs to find someone who wants to travel with him. Mm-hmm. Who, ha- who, like, doesn't mean they don't have their own goals in business, but it's a mobile type situation. Or he's going to be long distance a lot of the time. And if that works for both of them, that's fine too. But I think it becomes more complicated if you start a second family. And and in this guy's, talking all about him, in this guy's situation, um, why it didn't work with his first wife was the traveling. Like he thought, we'll just take the kids with us. Like, like vacation on the film set. We'll just take the kids with us. And it was a great idea to her in theory until they were actually doing it. And she was like, you know what? I just kind of want to be in a neighborhood and be there. (laughs) I don't really want to take the kids on a plane. And even though it could be a great educational experience for them. But again, that's with the two people sharing values and raising their kids. Because some kids do grow up that way, traveling and 
Or you yeah. just have to be okay with the distance, too. Right. And there's a lot of trust involved with that. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but so this kind of goes along with what you're saying about supporting, finding someone that supports you. Like, I don't think in, for, in this example, I could be that person for him. Mm-hmm. Because I just have a lot of my own stuff going on, and I don't want to just FaceTime as our relationship. Makes sense. You know? There's a really good book I read recently called Attached. Did we talk about this at all? We talked about it briefly, but I have not read it. Yeah, so it takes uh, childhood attachment theory, which is there's four different types. There's the secure kid, uh, there's the anxious, there's the avoidant, and then there's a very rare mix of anxious and avoidant. So secure is like the, you know, the mom leaves the kid in the room to play and steps outside of the room and the kid cries for a little bit and is like, hey, where'd my mom go? But they're very secure and they get over it pretty, you know, fast, relatively fast. And they start playing again. They're like, whatever, mom will be back. You know, love my mom, mom loves me. There's that trust, that security with, you know, mom left the room, but not gone forever. Then there's the anxious, which is, uh, you know, kid starts crying. I need my mom, I need my mom, I need my mom. Where's mom, where's mom, where's mom? Uh, then you have avoidant. And here's one of the fascinating things. So avoidant is mom leaves. You know, kid is almost aloof on the outside, like, whatever, I don't need my mom. Like, if mom came back, we kind of play it cool and ignore mom. And uh, the fascinating thing is, even though on the outside, the avoidant kid uh, seems like they don't really care, their heart rate and stress levels are the same as the anxious kid. So that's a sort of interesting thing. Then the super rare, you know, the combination combination of anxious and avoidant uh, very dangerous in terms of uh, being an adult. Like that. sociopathic, you mean? I guess you could say that. I don't think the book put it that way, but uh, yeah, like need, 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 need. Okay, now that they're here, all right, push them off a little, push them off. Really, I mean, you probably could call it that, but it's a, and it's it's really just, it has to do with um, their development as a kid. You can shift it and change it with understanding um, but when you want well, just reading it and then applying this to adults, I'm like, wow. And I looked at some of my relationships that didn't um, obviously last. And I found, you know, probably like in my late teens or early 20s, I was somewhere between like secure and almost avoidant. Like I would shift into this avoidant thing because I realized I was dating uh, ladies, women that were super, that had this anxious attachment style. And I didn't know like, even trying to communicate, I didn't quite understand why. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm okay with this, but this is kind of true. I, was very, I wasn't very patient at that yeah. age. Now understanding me, it's like, oh, that's really powerful. I could be a lot more patient and comfortable with it. Um, but just the knowledge of how people act or behave. And also, um, in the, they took the examples of, you know, a woman or man that just gets really they almost seemed to lose their mind. They took an example of this lady that was really happy, very successful, you know, had all these friends, and started dating this guy that the term they use is activating her attachment system. And she just went like kind of cuckoo over this guy. And he was very avoidant, like, oh, I love you, would say all this stuff, and then kind of disappear. And she might have like lost her job or something. Just really uh, set her in the wrong direction in life and it was driving her like almost insane and her friends couldn't figure it out and everything and it was just there are certain attachment styles that also activate you to act a certain way so understanding 
yourself and who you're dating can be really powerful. I agree with that. I was I was going to make a point about that before you gave that illustration that in my own experience, uh, I've noticed having different attachment styles based on who I'm dating, even if it's one date. <laughs> mm. If somebody's super, like I would say I'm more secure and would have more of a tendency to be um, anxious if I'm with someone who's avoidant because I'm secure. So if I don't have something stable, I'm like, what's going on? Like, this isn't normal. What are, what's the, what are the expectations? I feel insecure. (laughs) Uh, But if I'm with somebody who's more needy or needing of attention or a little bit too complimentary and effusive, I get like, want to be more distant. And, Mm. and, and it's like, I, I sort of, it's funny when you get someone who's more anxious, you understand the avoidant it's because like if, if someone were to start uh, complaining or saying like, oh, you said this, but um, you meant this. And they start like, um, I guess, dissecting language and, you know, sending long texts. That makes me feel like I can't deal with this. Mm. <laughs> and then I think, huh, like I think I've probably done that before, you know, when I'm upset, like sent a long text chain, like. And so it's like, it's interesting because with different people, you can see different sides of it. Yeah. It's like, see you later. Best wishes. What's part of what they say that's so curious too, is like, remember this one particular line or paragraph, you know, part of the description for it is understanding that there's more people out there. Like there's someone out there if, if this doesn't work, but you come in with that sense of confidence because you're very secure. Like, I'd really like this to work. I really like this person. At the same time, I'm a pretty good catch. So it's not the end of the world, however this goes. Yeah. I think also that comes with more dating. <laughs> yeah. Like more years of dating, more dates. People are, and you're like, oh my gosh, I am amazing. <laughs> you're also like, how fast can I eliminate this person? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, just, it's, it's like, I would say that's where I am right now. Not that I'm trying to eliminate, but I'm not trying to waste my time. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking carefully and going, yes, no, yes, no, 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 no. Okay, moving on. Yeah, and you got to get to meet of those conversations super fast. Like, I think you're just being honest. Hey, Derek, do you want kids? No? <laughs> All right, next. <laughs> right. Well, you don't want to waste any time. And I think, because I think the more time you spend with someone, you do get a little bit attached, even if they're not the right one. It's just spending time with somebody. If they're likable, you're going to, I don't, I'm not saying like deep attachment, but you're going to be fond and fond of them and it's going to be harder to say goodbye. So why waste time knowing each other if it's not a fit well like you said that you know doing that when you were younger you know i know i did the same thing too a couple of times just uh like well this person's really great and it turns into you know like on the second day even the first day you kind of know and then like something annoys you like they say the same word a lot or they (laughs) (laughs) yeah is that what it is i don't know i dated a guy when i was really young like 18 that he annoyed me like on the first or second date. I didn't date him long, but still, it was like he looked, I can't even remember what word he used, but he used it a lot. And it, it, he was trying to sound smart with it. Mm. And so I was just like, I can't handle this. Like capitulate or something. It wasn't that, it was worse. It, was, it wasn't even a, a really intelligent word, but he used it to sound intelligent. Huh. What not? He used what not like incessantly. And I couldn't. Is that an intelligent word? No, but he, that's my point is he used it like when he was trying to like make a point and he would just throw whatnot at the end. And I was just like, I can't handle this. 
mm-hmm. at 18. And he was actually a very good looking guy, but I couldn't handle whatnot. And he actually did well. So he must be intelligent. He did well with his life. Went to UCLA, you know. There's, there's some phrases like that. I've gotten a little looser around it, but that would really get me. This, that, and the other thing. When someone's describing something and they just trail off and leave details out, you know, this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, what other thing? Like, give me the details. Well, I have to say with whatnot, that says more about me than him. Mm -hmm. But my point being the fact that I was set off by that word so quickly, it's like, it just shows compatibility. The guy wasn't a bad guy, but for whatever reason, it was like, you need to be more creative than that. Like, that is, there's more words in our language than that. I don't, I'm saying like that shows a lot about knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. Not, nothing wrong with him, but oh, I'm slamming things. Sorry. I've got to figure <laughs> out, hey, you, you are uh, an adventurer. This is the first time I've had the, the table set up like this. So I realize there's a large metal bar over there. That's really good for me to know for future episodes. I'll have to figure out a workaround for that. Maybe a different chair set up. Something. Or we could sit farther from the table and. You could, this thing moves. I mean, it's got tons of, you could do whatever you want with this. It, the only thing it doesn't do is go up, like lift the whole handle out. I'm really fine here. Play. I'll try not to <laughs> slam. Here. And then my tea's farther away, but this is good. I will, I'll be less likely to slam over here. Okay, whatever works. Hey, yum. So with dating, too. I mean, it's what is it, 2021 right now? I think. Do you think that? How certain are you? You know, you seem like a fairly intelligent guy. Do you know what year it is? I question. Intelligence is definitely relative. Thank you for that, by the way. You got a lot of flattery going on over there. Not a lot, just a a little bit here and there. Yeah, I'm immune to it, so. Yeah, that's something you don't do. Flatter people? That's what you said. (laughs) Oh, well, I think flattery and compliments are different, like a sincere compliment. I would say the things that I've said were playful, not insincere. Yeah. Well, and that's where I nothing, think. Nothing that I've said has been for the sake of flattery. Yeah. Well, that's good. Thank you. Calling you a centerpiece. I don't even know if that's flattering, but this is your space. So you are the centerpiece. <laughs> it works. It's very... Then you go. Then the way... Aren't you the, the centerpiece? Uh, hey, this is... You're, you're here. You're the, the uh, prime character in the story. Okay. Yeah, the hero's journey or the hero right now. When I think of flattery, though, just the word flattery, it makes me. I think it's different than than compliment, like genuine, sincere compliment. Flatteries, because I've, I've actually got into really deep discussions. Like there was a founder of this startup company, and there's a little quiz that I have in here for you. Aware of this quiz? Derek makes everyone take this quiz. It is. It's such a good quiz. It is also. Wait, maybe you you're trying to make a point, and I really want to interject. Should we say how we know each other? Um, we don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> we can. Um, it's up to you because this is your show. Yeah. Well, I mean, you brought it up now. People are just kind of hanging on it. So go for it. Derek, how do we know each other? Oh, you're going to ask me? You're, yeah. You volunteered the information. Well, how do we know each other? Uh, let's see. What was the uh, the Sugar Daddy website? Mm, I'm not on that one. I know that's that's like your number joking. one choice. I was, I was trying to get you back. Like bit. I didn't know that you were my number one choice. <laughs> <laughs> I am not looking for a sugar daddy. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not on that one anymore. Um, anymore. 
I'm playing along with you. Okay. Yeah. I'm a good sport. We did. We did. We did. We We met on Bumble. Is it Bumble? It was Bumble, I'm sure. I have. Because I'm not on as many as as you, which also boosts his podcast. (laughs) You're telling the secrets. I'm telling it all. It's really. He made me take a narcissism quiz and he sent me the link more than once, people. Uh, And and just to be clear, I'm not a narcissist, but he makes anyone, I guess, who's of consequence to him take this quiz so he can get a sense of their danger to society and him. (laughs) Okay, let's let's break this down for a minute. (laughs) When it comes to time, right? We talked about time being very valuable. Um, I like this quiz. It's not a narcissist quiz. It's a personality quiz. It's a short quiz. I mean, he called it a narcissism quiz. So he's correcting me, but that's how he <laughs> termed it to me. After you took it, right? Did I tell you before? Before. Oh, He no. told me before. So then, And then he's I like, have you it. taken the quiz, question mark? Oh, <laughs> are you shocked to know that I didn't jump at the chance to take a narcissism <laughs> quiz? <laughs> it is a really good So I, I use it as a tool with friends, with whoever. Um, and it's not like if you have a certain score on it, I'm like, no, thank you to this person. So what we were talking about... Okay, so what I was talking about with the this person, we, we were talking about the quiz. We got a few things going here. Um, so I shared that quiz with somebody that was like working in a startup company, right? So we're talking about flattery, and we'll shift back to what you did such there. a good job bringing that all the way back, Derek. Yeah, I'm impressed. Focused here, all the way back. So, so I shared this quiz with this guy, yeah, and he, uh, you know, sent it back, and I'm pretty open sharing my online, and you know. You described it as confrontational. I remember you saying the quiz was confrontational. I think it's pretty- To me, meaning yeah. that it's not a surprise, but having to look at what the results are, I'm being, I have to be honest with myself about myself. Well, you don't, and here's the cool part. I'm glad you said that. You don't have to be honest with yourself because in my experience, not everybody is. And so me and this person can do a really interesting discussion because his scores were uh, exciting. And one of them was around flattery. And he was really trying to persuade me and convince me that it's okay to lie to people to make them feel good. And you could see the difference in the scores. Like, I really don't believe that. You don't have to say everything. Um, One of my favorite people here in San Diego is this guy, Dan Negroni. And he taught me this, this really awesome phrase, honesty that kills is still murder. So it's not that you have to be out there and make fun of people or you know say all of your truths if you're out there hurting people there's a you know there's a middle space where you should be honest to a point even if it's firm and you have to hold people accountable those kind of things and it doesn't always create the best emotions but this guy was literally saying like oh yeah you know tell her hair looks great if it looks awful and tell that person they like you know or business and doing all these things and I just couldn't agree with that. So when I think of flattery, I think of things like that, like insincere, dishonest uh, statements just to make things easier. Well, in that way, it's more like manipulation. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have that mantra (laughs) that you don't have close relationships because I think um, intimate relationships, friendships, romantic, family any intimacy is built through trust and honesty. And like you said, it... I'm going to just shift it a little bit. You can turn it. Just do... Yeah, there we go. Okay. Like, um, 
What were you saying? Intimacy built through relationships. That's you. Yes, but I lost my last track. Lost my train of thought. Um, we're talking about flattery, being insincere, talking about getting to know people. You're building relationships. You're building this intimacy. I know, but I don't know where I was ending with that. Um, No, I just feel like I know. I, 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 it's not like I don't know what I was saying. I just don't know where, where I was headed. Cause I was kind of like, um, uh, I don't know. What is the last thing that I said? Uh, I think I was mainly, I'm just saying like in any close relationship, basically if you're that guy and you are not being genuine with people, you cannot build real intimate relationships. And any intimate relationship is based on trust and honesty. This is what I was going to say is um, you don't have to say all the terrible truths to be honest with somebody. But if they ask for your honest opinion, you are honest with them. And they, when you have a loving, trusting relationship, it's okay to tell the truth. Like, oh, I'm bloated. Is my stomach sticking out in this dress? Yes. To a girlfriend. Um, It is a little bit sticking out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If they ask you directly, it's because they trust you. And that's Mm -hmm. because you've been honest with them in the past. But you don't go around pointing out every time they're bloated but if they ask you you tell them because they trust you and that it's just like is there a booger hanging out of my nose yeah. like it would be the nice thing to tell me it is i would definitely tell you so that, that i'm not I'm breathing not and it's going in. is that happening to me right now <laughs> no but i'm saying there's a certain um yeah, kindness totally to being honest that. about that that's actually kind yeah no it's and you've used the word alignment a couple times so knowing who I enjoy having around me, I wouldn't really want to spend a lot of time with someone who was trying to flatter me all the time. Like, because I wouldn't know it's not real. And I do want someone to tell me like, hey, you've got cheese on your face. Hey, uh, that statement you made to someone so that wasn't cool. Yeah, know? it's like I've been smiling for three hours and there's an herb like right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why didn't someone tell me that? I would have stopped smiling or I would have gone to the bathroom and picked it out. It's like every picture, there's a leaf sticking out and i'm like why didn't somebody tell me where are my good friends yeah how so with your work when it comes to getting getting roles right getting an opportunity getting a job like how um i mean is it hollywood is known for on the outside looking in i don't have any experience but a regular conversation about it might be well it's not very sincere it's kind of you know fake is a word that gets thrown around how do you see that playing out with your work since you have these very strong values? I haven't experienced um, a lot of fakeness myself. I would I would say probably that reputation comes from it's political, like any work environment. You have to be polite to people. And I think um, in any work situation, you're going to have ass kissers. Um, but my experience is people are just polite and professional. So if I get on set and I'm working, the director introduces themselves. They might shake my hand probably in this current time. They wouldn't. (laughs) And they're polite and professional. I haven't really had anybody flatter me, at least not that is 
a coworker, meaning a director. I might have another actor side flatter me, but that's just their personality to be a flatterer. Mm. But I haven't noticed a lot of pretense, but that's also because of who I am. I don't attract those kind of people. I'm not attracted to them. So I don't, I don't keep those people close to me. Like I, you know, if I'm in a, in an acting community, whether it's like, you know, I'm in a play or a, an acting class or, you know, working on a show, um, I gravitate towards the other people that are genuine. And in my experience, the actors that succeed are genuine because they're extremely empathetic. Mm. You can't tell a story unless in a real and compelling way, unless you're willing to give of yourself. And that's a generous person. Hmm. Also a strong person, I think, too, because in order to be vulnerable, is that a good word? I think that works. Yeah. You, you have to be brave. strong. Brave. Like, imagine the actors that you like. Like, think of one actor you like. Mm. That you enjoy. Justin Timberlake. Okay, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> um, I've been watching a lot of movies, but he, I watched that movie in time recently. But I would say, if you were to watch interviews with him or study him as a person, he's a reasonably nice, generous person. Mm. You can't do what he does, act, dance, sing, without being generous. Mm. Like, he's giving his all. You can't be a good performer without being generous. So what about the, it's, you know, the stereotype of, like, some people that get really, you know, famous or just kind of asses? Um, I think those are few and far between. And I think that's maybe not who they really are, but just an aspect of them. Like they still couldn't do great work if they were truly an asshole, because it takes a certain empathy and sensitivity to connect to a story. That's something you're, that you're saying, okay, I'm going to open myself up and make myself available to the story that someone else wrote. That takes effort and energy. So, but, but that they could have like aspects of themselves that are like, oh, I've been working in this industry so long that I feel like I'm better than that production assistant. Just that's conditioning too, from people kissing their ass for so many years. Well, couldn't, couldn't this connection you're talking about to a story, just be selfishly motivated to get the role, to make the money, to be famous, to, to whatever, but it couldn't just be a selfish drive versus an actual generosity. Mm, it could be. But I think we'd see it when we watch the movie. And there are actors that aren't great, you know, that maybe they get a lot of work. Like like some young actors, they're attractive, but they're not actually really great actors, so their careers don't last. But I think any actor that's that we enjoy watching, um, it, they're generous. Meryl Streep, Denzel Washington. It takes a lot to do the work. Like it's, I think some people that aren't um, in the industry think, oh, you show up and they film you. It takes hours of not just learning the words, but learning the world. If I say like this thing, I, one of the thing, stories I'm working on for an audition this week is I'm a mom who has a past in drugs and alcohol because of some tragic event that happened when I was a teenager. So if I'm just saying words, then that's really shallow. But if I take the time to imagine huh, what was that tragic thing that happened? Did I see someone die? 
or if I, instead of just saying I did drugs and alcohol as like a concept, there's no connection. But if I spend two hours imagining, oh, I was shooting myself up with heroin. That's how low I was. And actually imagining what it felt like to put the needle in and then like, or what it felt like for my daughter to take the rat because they found pot on us, but I'm the only one that can be employed. And they, they, um, you know, charge minors to a lesser extent than adults. So I let my teenage daughter take the rap. How does that feel? And if I actually let myself experience that, that takes something out of me. So my point being actors that are good and compelling do that. And that takes time. It takes energy. It takes your emotional, um, energy. Um, I don't think you can be a good performer without doing that. Because otherwise it's very surface, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I don't think um, uh, an asshole can do that. So even if maybe somebody's rude at a moment on set to somebody, that's not who they are, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It might just be like that day they're exhausted and somebody's trying to like pin their clothes and also adjust the lights while they're trying to have an emotional moment. It's, a, it's, it's tough to be like, okay, we want you to cry. And they're like adjusting your mic and like fixing your shirt. And you're like, okay, I'm trying to... It can be challenging. So I'm sure there are assholes, but I think most of the good actors aren't, is what I'm trying to say. We're not talking about, like, reality show stars. That's not acting, you know? I thought it was acting, but okay. <laughs> it, it is contrived. <laughs> like, they produce the scenarios. Like, if they were doing a reality show here, they'd be like, okay, Derek and Stephanie, um, what would they say? Uh, <laughs> Spill the tea and... Yeah. They'd say, okay, um, you guys went on some dates and now this is like, now it's really going to happen. Like you come in the room (laughs) and something's going to happen. Like, oh, you have incredible chemistry. And then you just (laughs) knock the microphones down and like go at it on the desk. I'm getting like embarrassed right now (laughs) as I say this, but I'm saying that's reality (laughs) TV is like they manufacture scenarios and so there is some acting, but it's not scripted, and they've not worked on it. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Well, what's really interesting is, is when folks don't understand that, too, when someone doesn't grasp the concept of the manufacturing or the... I was in a documentary. Now, it's not a big mainstream thing. It was more of a, I would say, like a film school project. But they are the ones that go to like a film festival or whatever and they, they can end up, you know, doing something with it. It was a pretty cool crew. And it was at a point where I was working, you know, crazy hours and going to school and I was volunteering and so just had a really pretty thick schedule. And it was a, a friend of mine that was doing this. And they said, you know, we'd love you to be in the documentary. It's about online dating. And it was back in 2010, right around then. So it means early online dating days. And, I, you know, I, I want to put the time into it. Like you're talking about time, like prep or whatever. And they said, don't worry about it. We already got it set up. We're going to make the profile for you. We're going to message the people. Like we just really need your permission. So they did I mean, all the, I didn't even know who I was meeting. I just showed up to film the dinner and I, I had some guilt afterwards because I thought she was going to be on the same page. She thought it was all very legitimate. She thought it was a real date. She thought we'd been talking online and it was a, it put me in a tough spot. Uh, That's so weird. So you had no frame of reference either. Like, did they fill you in on what you said? <laughs> pretty much like 
Um, they just let me roll with it. They told me what the outcome was to be, like what they wanted to be. It just felt really weird. It was. It was Did you guys have chemistry? No. Mm. I mean, you know, I tried to generate some just to be nice in the moment. And because we were on camera and there's a bunch of film crews around and yeah. whatever. So, um, but it was, yeah, afterwards I was like, you know, I'm just torn. You know, wanting to help my friend, which is why I showed up and, and did it. And, and also it was kind of fun and exciting because I was 24 or whatever. You know, like, yeah, this is cool. Um, but then also feeling, you know, kind of guilt for this girl that, like, um, she was, was used. Real. Well, yeah, and it was under the guise of a documentary. But I eventually I was like telling my friend, like, hey, do we get to tell her? He's like, don't worry, we're going to tell her right after and da da da. And just kind of, you know, make it legit. But yeah, it just seemed very. You can manufacture anything just because it's on a YouTube video, just because it's a documentary that's supposed to be real. You know, you have to really think critically about the information that you're consuming. Getting a very harsh look right now. Not harsh. I'm not. <laughs> I'm thinking many thoughts. I'm thinking cool. I'm thinking, oh, you have such nice, expressive eyes. But if I say that out loud, he's going to call it flattery. Mm. Um, yeah, I, that's all I was thinking. <laughs> not harsh. <laughs> uh, I'm like, uh, an assessment uh, look. I'm like I'm being, I'm being assessed. I'm like I could feel the penetrating. I was gaze. listening, active listening. Uh, well, that's good. That's a good. It's a good practice. I think when you talk about being genuine or getting into something, that's a a really strong thing to do. So, have you have you ever had an experience? I mean, you've done. <clears throat> seems like you've done a lot of work. I mean, doing this for 13 years. What are what are some of your, I mean, favorite things you've done, some of the most exciting, some of the scariest things you've done? Share a little bit about it. Yeah, I'll share a few stories. Let's see. Um, exciting. The biggest set that I was on was um, this film, Behind the Candelabra. I was on the call sheet with Matt Damon and um, Michael Douglas. So it's like their names and then mine. I'm like, ah! My scene was cut. But I got to work with Steven Soderbergh. He's a huge director. It was the biggest set. Um, I was super prepared. Um, and and it was just really exciting to be on a big set and to do, do a great job and leave and feel like, yeah, like I'm in the major leagues. Um, so that was just exciting because of the, the cast and the director is huge. Um, I was sad that I was cut. <laughs> and, and unfortunately... The majority of the time, you do not know until the show airs or the film is released if you made it or not. Mm. So you can tell everyone, I'm in it. And then they're like, like in this case, people that I know on the East Coast were like, I didn't see you. And I'm like, you know, I guess I probably didn't make the cut. Um, And that happens a lot. Just because, when especially when you have two big stars in it, they got to make all the room for them. So... It's fine. It's, oh. it's, it adds impact to the. Ooh. Yeah. When you have when you have big stars, um, they gotta, you know, they gotta leave a lot of room for them to breathe. You know, inhale and exhale for five seconds. <laughs> mm. um, I actually did a show with Octavia Spencer. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Um, she's done a lot of work. She has her own show on Apple TV. Um, Truth be told. And I, it was a, um, 
Is that the name of the show, Truth Be Told? Truth Be Told, okay. yeah. And it's, it's a Truth Be Told. I wasn't sure if you were. Yeah, yeah. No, the name of the show is Truth Be Told. And um, it was a good part. I was playing a lawyer. But most of the coverage, meaning where they spent the camera, was on her face, her nose, her eyes, her hands. So I'm talking, but it's all her because she's the star. So a lot of times stuff like that happens. And so I'm acting all day for 10 hours, but they're getting like all this coverage of her eyes and her nose, like how she's reacting to the courtroom scene. Um, but still, that was a great set, too, because she's one of my idols. Uh, what was the other thing you said? You said scary. Oh, OK. I would say like the most... Um, stressful situation was I booked this commercial Super Bowl commercial and for the audition I had to cry on cue and so I did it in the initial audition I did it for the callback and then when we got to set I waited like five hours before it was my turn and I and he's like okay are you ready like the director like they cast me to cry on cue I wasn't able to cry and, and so being stressed about crying, I couldn't cry. You'd think that would make me stressed and I would cry. But the reason it was so hard was because, so it wasn't just like I was driving a car, but they, they were really actually towing me. It wasn't just that, oh, I'm driving a car. It was that they were using film, not, not digital. So we'd have to change the film reel. So it was the timing of that. We were driving on this certain track. They had a rain machine in front of me that would start. So there was like all this stuff that I had to synchronize and I'm just supposed to, it was so distracting, I couldn't do it. So they eventually just had to like put drops in my eyes. And I felt like such a failure, which is so dumb because it's not like I didn't try, but it was just, there was like an unbelievable amount of distractions and constraints that they wanted the tears to drop in. Mm-hmm. So like, if it wasn't like I could just cry, it had to happen like, okay, the car's starting, the camera's rolling, the rain's starting, and, and we had to make it around this loop, like it had to happen. It was just a ridiculous amount of pressure and synchronizing that I wasn't able to do it. And I felt it, it like, I'm over it now, but like it took me a long time to get over it because I just felt like this is what they asked me to do and I wasn't able to do it, even though it's obviously it wasn't for lack of wanting to. So that was just a really stressful, you know, I still got paid for it. It still aired. I had a fake tear coming down. And you said you did it a couple of times leading up to it too. Oh, I did in the audition and the callback. But in that case, I had, I personalized it. I, I had something that I was, and I had to pretend to drive in the audition. And, um, you know, I did cry for real. I mean, I beat out however many people with my genuine crying. And, and then, but it was just in this scenario, it was like, um, okay, I would get like a real tear going. And they'd be like, oh, we have to change the film. And there was literally a camera right up to my face and the guy sitting in the passenger seat and the director behind me going, <sighs> so it was like, I mean, I just felt awful. And there was and there was rain machine in front of me and like we're being towed and they're like, okay, look straight, fake driving. It was just, there was so many distractions. There was nothing realistic, not even really a moment. It was just, it was very challenging scenario. I think it would have been hard for anyone because it wasn't just like I'm sitting in the corner, we're rolling, just let the tears come. It was like this very weird choreography almost. And unfortunately, I'm not a robot. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't able to be like, Pew! like push the button, tears fall. I mean, like, yeah, eye drops. Sure. That's, so the only thing I think I've ever trained myself emotionally is actually to be like more stoic or more neutral on things because I, I realized probably 
you know, in my early 20s, I really started to realize that being in control of your emotion is probably even way before that, realistically. Um, keeping keeping reins on them and being able to process things was really, really valuable. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, probably more like even 11 or 12, I really started to understand, you know, not responding or not reacting. Um, so training for that, but I've never trained myself to be okay, I want to be angry on cue. I, I want to tap into this particular emotion for a purpose. It's mostly been, you know, to, to neutralize those emotions so you can focus, you can drive a certain purpose. Or when I think of sparring and boxing or something like that or jujitsu, it really is about putting the uh, emotions under control so that you can think through things and process stuff without responding or reacting. How, how does somebody train themselves to cry? That is what acting is and why it's so challenging because not just you, but most of us are acculturated to being stoic. Like, even as a child, if I would cry in class, I'd be embarrassed. Because mm. I'm more of a sensitive person, which is actually a gift as an artist. But growing up, it was looked at as a weakness. So there was shame around crying. And then I went into the Navy, and so it was more stoicism. So acting is all about learning to be available, to like basically let down the guard. All, those, all that shame of I'm crying is more like, no, let it come. Let that come out. And it's learning to, um, learning to be available and letting go of... Um, the basically training yourself to feel like you're in private when you're in public. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is because some of our most intimate moments are with ourselves. It's like when you have a really stressful day and you, you, you're holding it all, holding all your shit together and then you come home and you close the door and you just, whatever it is. For me, I might cry. Some people may like punch something, but it's that intimacy of being safe with yourself and as an actor, it's basically learning how to let go of that inhibition of the public so that you're basically, um, you become less inhibited. That's really what it is. It's like practicing being uninhibited, which is a great life skill, you know, to learn to be, I mean, we can't always just do, do what we feel in every situation, but it does, I would say I've become a better person by being a better actor because I'm more genuine, more available. Not that I was ever not genuine, but I'm more willing to share myself and less afraid or ashamed. I'm also more empathetic, more willing to step into someone else's experience because that's what I do for a living. So if I see a homeless person, as we were speaking of them, I don't go, they're other. I go, that's me under those circumstances and conditions. That is me. If I have a mental illness, if I have experience with drugs, if I have a mental illness and no family. Because some of the people on the streets, there's nothing that they can do. They actually do need outside help. And so a lot of us are lucky that we have friends and family that if we did find ourselves in those kind of dire circumstances, they'd say, you can come stay with me. Some of these people don't have that. And so to be able to see them and see their misfortune and that they're someone's daughter, someone's sister, they have family. It like, I think it allows us to feel for them instead of seeing them as other. And I don't want to look. 100%. Yeah. I, that literally happened to me yesterday. 
uh, we're looking at a guy and, and there's a there's recent research, you know, a lot of people will be talking about being empathetic. And for a long time I've I've shared with people, uh, ever since I first like really started understanding it, when someone's describing an injury or a painful moment, I actually physically feel it. Like my stomach, usually part of my leg, it depends on what it is, but it tightens up and, and like almost tingles, I guess you could say. And so when I, I would tell people like, oh, I can feel it, and they could kind of see me, and I, I learned to, you know, sometimes show it, sometimes not, whatever, but I got way more into like feeling it a lot. And by the way, I cry all the time. Almost. The first time it happened, I was like, this is embarrassing, like watching a movie you know, like a Disney movie, and I'm like, oh, now I just do all the time when my nephews laugh at me, but uh, I'm like, oh, oh I think it really is a gift, because all it means is you're um, available to life. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, it's more our culture that, um, should I wait for that siren? You can go. I think think at this point, the listeners are like, it happens pretty regularly now. Ever since the pandemic, I mean, it's usually a really... They're coming to get Derek. It's a really busy street normally, so people would be going to the beach all the time. But once they shut stuff down, like there's been more flow of cars, mm-hmm. and I think the uh, emergency services decided, like, hey, we can actually get through the street now. Okay, I just want to correct the record. Um, so we've been taught that crying is weakness, but it's really just a flow of emotion. It could be sadness, it could be joy, it could be frustration. It's literally expression. There's nothing weak about it because numbing yourself is certainly not brave. Mm-hmm. And I just think that needs to be on the record. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what you said, so what, uh, so going back, before that, oh well. Uh, have you ever seen like a feelings chart? Oh! Go back to that. But I wanted to say you were talking about having actual sensations or visceral oh, yeah. reactions to people describing pain. So I think you are such an, a natural empath and also clearly a sensitive person, which is actually beautiful because it, sensitivity just means you feel things. You know, it's like, who wants to be desensitized? Mm. Do you not want to taste your food? Do you not want to smell the flowers? You know, like... I think you're great. You're in a great place to be like, like I feel things so much that water's coming out of my eyes. I'd rather be that than like, I feel nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Well, and thank you. Cause it's uh, like one of my tattoos is machinery and toys and gears on it. And there was a period of time in my life where I'd actually convinced myself like I am a robot. Like, I, you know, Feeling and emotions are bad. I mean, that's what young men are taught a lot, like you're talking about. And the military, especially. Oh, yeah. So it's, but it was a understanding that, like being able to sit in a movie and cry on a date or with friends or whatever, and just being like, oh, now I'm just kind of laughing at it, you know, and be like, oh, I'm doing the crying again. You just really feel it. And, and what you're, so there's two things. It's there. a willingness, too. That's another thing we were talking about, mm-hmm. like, how do you learn to cry on cue? Like being an actor is, it's um, letting go of inhibition and also being willing. Like you being willing to share yourself instead of holding in tears. Why suffer the pain of holding back instead of just being yourself? Because anybody worth being with would accept that. Yeah, well then there's, there's also, uh, I mean, I, this is actually a little bit of a funny story. I was sharing this with someone about last year, I had 
what was probably the hardest breakup of my life where I really was like, okay, we're, like, this is it, we're getting married, and this is how we were, you know, carrying that for a bit. And then it didn't work out. Not the best time to have a, the worst breakup of your life when you can't really go be social in California and the restrictions here and everything. I did, you know, a little bit of traveling. It was nice to go visit people in other states where things were different. I remember having this meeting and just like, I was doing, I was still going to bed early and working out and doing things, but this meeting at like 8.30 in the morning or something. And I was sitting there crying, eating potato chips during the meeting. And I'm like, this has to be a low point. Part of me was laughing at it because I, I knew, like, internally, I was going, okay, I'm going to look back at this. Did thing. anybody ask about it? Nobody could see me, luckily, in this meeting. This was more of a phone meeting. I was on video at this point. Uh, and I, I could still stay composed outside of being a legitimate mess. Um, but it was, uh, it was funny because even in that moment, as I'm doing it, I was, like, crying because I was super sad and laughing, just, like, looking around, like, really, this is what I'm doing right now? And then also going, this is going to be funny in a week, a month, a day, six months, whenever I actually feel better. Um, but it's always powerful just to kind of let that go and actually to be able to tell people about it later. It's in awful to go through because <laughs> I've been there too. It's awful to go through, but there's no way out but through it. You can't skip that painful part. Yeah. Well, and it's depends on how, how involved you get with it. But going, going back to the the feeling thing so they actually have new research now and it shows that one to two percent of the population i didn't i didn't finish reading the research paper because i would actually like to go back and complete and know why if they think it's genetic or if they think it's a learned thing but they physically feel like there's people that say you know there's being empathetic like putting yourself in someone's shoes understanding looking at different perspectives and there's actually feeling like physical feeling and one to two percent and this was a study done I believe it was in the u.s but it could have been somewhere else and because there are also cultural differences sometimes with that uh, that feeling so i'm actually now getting curious too like is it genetic is it a learned thing but that's a different level of living because you really you can end up being too sensitive too if you don't learn how to uh, limit your interactions in certain environments or uh, build up your own strength to be able to go into a pretty abrasive world and uh, stay strong that's so true and i i think um that's where it comes to just knowing yourself like even i had at times considered being a therapist and i thought that's probably not the best option for me because i'm uh, like a bleeding heart and you have not to say I, you can't learn to have some distance but that isn't necessarily how i like to have my interactions i like to really connect with people so it's better to do it with less people, you know, and really connect for me than to develop a way to distance myself. But I think that's necessary when your profession is listening to people's feelings. Yeah, imagine carrying that around all the time. I, I originally, when I first started figuring out, like, oh, maybe I'll go to school and do this stuff, thought going into the medical field, being a doctor, you know, I was just looking at salaries, basically going, oh, I'll be a surgeon and or a psychiatrist, uh, you know, so I started going down those paths. And as soon as I realized that, like, if I have an injury, I don't even notice it sometimes. Bone is sticking out of my hand or this massive cut, hand is split or whatever. 
and I've had other people notice like some major injuries on me. They're like, dude, you're what, what's going on over there? I'm like, oh, look at that. <laughs> but other people's injuries totally feeling it. It directed me in decisions early on. Like, oh, that's not a good idea. I shouldn't go down that path because I will just, you know, what's life going to be like outside of work for me? Well, what would it be like for you if you were cutting someone open? Yeah, no good idea. <laughs> and no you're desire. feeling it. Or, um, Oh my, yeah, those are just challenging careers, or especially with, I think, being a therapist or, you know, dealing with people with problems or people that are suicidal or, um, you know, I think it's, it's, um, you have to have a good way to find balance and distance. And I, I don't think that I'm great at that. Yeah, one of my neighbors is a, a psychotherapist. I'm just like, whoa, you know, yeah. she does a really good job of staying, you know. Detached. Consistent and emotional. Detached? That's a strong I mean, you I have wonder. to be able to have your weekend, right? Like, if someone's yeah. having dire circumstances, you don't, I don't want to be thinking about someone else's problems when I'm going to sleep, but I yeah. also don't know how to not do that. Yeah, like leave work. Or well, I'm saying, like, if my friends or family are having trouble, I might think about them when I'm going to sleep and say a little prayer. But I also think it's maybe appropriate to worry about my friends and family, but I don't want to worry about everyone's problems, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think I care about people when I'm in communion with them. So that would be hard for me is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that this person, your neighbor, isn't that way, but I'm saying she's obviously developed a way to cope or, you know, have some sort of reasonable boundaries. Boundaries. <laughs> well, I also think getting really strong perspective on why someone is at where they're at in terms of, um, like for me in, in business, one of the toughest things I found over the years getting into more like leadership roles and having big teams I'm working with, some people are performing very, very well. Some people are doing okay and they're happy with it. And then some are not. And when someone's in a spot and they're not operating successfully, consistently, you know, you you really want to, and I obviously empathy is really important. At the same time, if there's not a strong level of accountability, and I can only get that from perspective and questions and, and objectivity. Through, yeah, because I could start to feel bad for them, which is not going to help them at all, and just going to perpetuate whatever story or narrative they have about why they're at where they're at. Well, I also think there's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Yes. So, like, you can empathize with them, but you don't need to feel sympathetic because you can't help them. So then that's where you get more objective and think what's working, what's not working, what are you not doing, and all that, which you're a pro at. Well, thank you. With, um, well, you're literally a professional. Good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, that wasn't even a compliment, people. <laughs> uh, we're going to go there. Um, <laughs> That's a runner. We're just going to keep that going. Okay. Well, yeah, hey, let, it, let it happen. I like it. Um, with your, with understanding yourself so well and the work that you do and, and how you've built your life, how does that play into like a social life in terms of finding Right, people that can understand your goals, your missions, who you are, and, and choosing friends or relationships? I would say quality over quantity. I know a lot of people. I have a lot of acquaintances, a lot of social media, you know, pals, like we support each other. Mm -hmm. But I have a very 
small group of close friends that, and I, but I also think that's enough to have, and I, and I, and I put my attention on the people that do support and understand my plight, both my professional and personal needs. Um, so I, I spend my time with the people that get it. I, I think when I was younger, I would spend time with people that maybe didn't get it or couldn't really support me. And I would think, oh, why can't they support me? And I would be frustrated that like, maybe maybe a family member couldn't really understand. Like I might say, oh yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm really frustrated. I've been auditioning and I'm not getting anything. And they'd be like, well, how much longer are you gonna do it? Or maybe you should try something else. And I would feel like so unsupportive. Um, and I would just get, I would lament that they couldn't support me, but now I just don't share with people that aren't capable of supporting me. Mm. And I, I invest my, I guess, my personal shares with people that can support me. Um, yeah, and so my close friends are a mix of people in the industry and people that aren't in the industry. It's really based on their personal capacity to connect, relate, support, and me to be able to do the same for them, which I think um, it's really like just caring about each other because like with any job, there's, um, I think our friends and family need to be understanding. Like in my case, I may make a plan with someone and I may have to break it because I get an audition that comes up, but that's what I've been investing my life in. So I it's either I'm going to let my friend down or I'm going to let myself down. And that may sound selfish, but that's what I've signed up for. And my good friends will understand that I can't let myself down because that's basically um, would, would, uh, what am I trying to say? Like obliterate my whole plight, like the sacrifices that I've been making for this big opportunity. Oh, but I said I'd go to lunch with you. You know, my good friends know, oh, we can do it another day. Those are the best friends. Yes, but that is hard as a person. I don't like letting people down, but part of succeeding is being willing to let people down. Well, and a really great friend is going to say, hey, that's awesome. Congratulations. I'm going to go do whatever and support you and cheer you on. And if you have to cancel 100 lunches with me because that means you're, you know, crushing it, uh, please do it. Right. And those are the people that I invest in and that I would do the same for them. So if they have to cancel on me, I feel nothing except I get it. I don't, there's no like, oh. it's all like, get it. I get it. You do your thing. You know, like that's, that's the, I think it also comes from maturity too. Hmm. And, and that like reciprocity in the relationship, good relationships are being understanding. And I think anytime you do something where you face a tremendous amount of rejection and you're, you know, whether it's entrepreneurial or, and I'm just taking a, a guess here, there's a fair amount of rejection in the work that you do for anybody. It's like worse than rejection. They don't even call you to reject you. They're avoidant. <laughs> you, they're avoidant. <laughs> like the whole entertainment industry is avoidant attachment style. You don't even get a rejection. Like, please dump me at least so I know and can move on with my life. Nope. Uh, well, anytime you do that, there's usually a few different ways it unfolds, right? It's there's folks that blame outside circumstances and go, oh, it's, you know, for X, Y, Z or... Uh, 
I'm way better. I don't know why they pick that person and they don't spend the time to invest in figuring out how to get better, be better, and maybe win the next one. And then there's a second person that does that that goes, okay, that one didn't work out. It's a numbers game. You know, what could I have done better? Maybe I can get feedback. How do I grow? Was that the right role? Should I make a pivot or a change? And I think anytime you take that second approach, there's a tremendous amount of maturity, like you said, that that comes with it. How, how would you say, so 13 and a half years, and you obviously some, you know, being a news reporter and uh, being in the Navy, those are two things that require structure and discipline. Uh, how, how would you say your maturity or growth compares in, in this world versus what you're doing before? I think my current job as an actor, entertainer, storyteller, I think storyteller is a better way to put it because I'm also writing now, has demanded me to grow personally more than any other job because there isn't consistency, there aren't results, dependable consistency, dependable results. So there has to be so much self-awareness, so many of so much of my own discipline, consistency, healthy practices, mindfulness so that I can stay in a positive state to keep going and pursuing even when I'm not getting something in return. So it's required me to level up as a person. My favorite phrase is to level, to level up. So you've been writing, you said you've been writing for a few years now too. What, uh, are you allowed to share any of what you're working on? Yeah. Do you want to ask a question? (laughs) Sure, what? Uh, Right now, I'm working on a feature film that's based on my experience in the Navy. So it's a young 22-year-old going into the Navy, into this misogynistic culture, dealing with bullying, um, sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, sabotage. Basically, like it's a hero's journey that ends in triumph, but with a lot of bruises and scars along the way. And it's a story, I think, that hasn't specifically been told. Yes, we've seen, you know, heroic women, Wonder Woman. But I mean, this is a real life scenario. And the neat thing is, is I'm writing it. So it's, it is fiction in that, like, the, the words that people say are words that I came up with. But it is uh, largely drawn from my personal experience. And is this the, this is your first writing project? Uh, no, it's, I, I have written some small things and I wrote another screenplay, but this is like my first, I guess, attempt with guidance. Like I'm in a writing group with a writing mentor and, um, and it's also a story that people have been asking for. Mm-hmm. Like ever since I got into the industry and anybody found out that I was in the Navy, they were always taken aback because I don't look like whatever they imagine a naval officer looks like or someone who was in the military i'm pretty feminine and um playful and not stoic and you know i'm I'm not i'm not a gi jane or you know anything like that so i think people are always surprised and then they're curious and so many people have asked and asked and asked and then um, when i got into this writing group um i was trying to figure out what i wanted to work on and I talked to my writing mentor, and this was the thing that he was most excited about. And then the more I talked about it, I was finally turned on to it myself. 
Uh, because I think sometimes when we're talking about our own experiences, we're not as excited about them. But the more I talked about it with him, I realized how much I had to share and how important this story was. Because especially now when um, we're talking about, you know, the whole Me Too movement and um, feminism and and telling women's stories. And um, this was a time when that wasn't a thing, when basically if you're a woman and you're being uh, bullied, you just had to dodge it and move along. Um, I think it's important to share that story too. And, um, and also see that like there is triumph in it and there's strength in it. And it's also just neat to see a military story that's based on a woman in a time of war, like with the backdrop of, you know, the current Gulf war, that's not really something we've seen. That's when you're when you're writing this, I mean, are you are you writing this for you? Do you have a certain type of person in mind? I'm absolutely too old to play this part, but <laughs> I'm writing it because it's a story that needs to be told. Like I've I've avoided it, like I said, for so long, and now it's and I know it has to be told. It's also even just like an intuition. Like this is something that specifically my voice, my experience. I'm the only one that can tell this story. In this way, like there's also as much as I made it sound dramatic, there's levity in it. There's a lot of fun in the script because that's my nature is to find levity and light and fun. So there's a lot of fun in the script too. Um, like one of the girls, you know, brings vibrators on board, you know, for example, because <laughs> that's reality. Like everything's not tragic and dramatic. It's a mix, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's the, the the richness of the script is there's all kinds of fun characters. The captain's like a um, uh, Yosemite Sam on steroids, you know, but really actually satanic, you know, okay. <laughs> cartoon-like, but mean, you know, and so that's the juxtaposition. Um, so what did you ask me? You asked me... If you were writing it when you're, as you're oh, writing your process. So, but, but you were asking if I was writing it for myself, and maybe you want to ask me something else, but I, I'm writing the story because it needs to be told. I may write something that's a cameo for me, but it's more like I'm just happy to tell the story and I intuitively know it's going to get made because I'm going to do a good job writing it. Mm -hmm. And my writing mentor can't wait to get it out there. So I know that there's there's something in it because he's just like, I haven't finished it. I can't wait for it to get out there. You know, <laughs> like, so, so I know that, that this story is going to be told. So that's exciting to me. And the other thing that's exciting is knowing that, like, when it does get made, that I can be there to support it as, like, a, a you know, a female veteran in the industry. You know, I, that, that's exciting to me, too, that it's not just a story, but it's there's um, real life behind it. Yeah, that's, I imagine that's something that's going to speak to a lot of women because there are a, a fair amount in the armed forces. I mean, that's like an automatic... Um, connection to a, a very large group of people. It is, and um, I think there'll be a lot of women that will relate, even if things didn't directly happen to them in an assault manner. Just the climate, like we, we were sort of uh, spoke to as like, oh, I don't even know why they let women in the military. Females are drama. Kind of speaking back to the tears thing, that that misogynistic, stoic culture of like emotions are weakness 
And also in the military, drinking is a big thing. Work hard, play hard, everybody gets drunk, but that's really just numbing the stress. So the criers are actually the strong ones because they're, you know, you can still work and get shit done while crying. Mm -hmm. And then you've gotten it out and it's gone. When you numb with alcohol, it is not gone. And that's why you have leaders who are abusive. And so it's just, it's, it's like, it's interesting. It explores all that without having to say it. And um, I don't know where I was going with this, but I just think that's, that's important and there's strength in it. That's what it is, is I want to show the strength in, in um, vulnerability instead of it being like the, the culture when I was in was that you could not show vulnerability because that looks like weakness. So I would literally hold my tears and run into the bathroom stall and cry in the bathroom. And a couple of times I was caught crying, like my chief who worked for me and he called me um, La Llorona because I cried a lot because I was stressed. And so, and because I, he wasn't my superior, he, he was a senior enlisted who worked for me. I didn't care if he saw it. So he, he gave me that nickname. And that's like a Mexican woman who steals people's children. That is not me. But it does mean like the crier. Okay. <laughs> um, so what? Go ahead. No, I didn't have anything to say. Oh, so what's the, the process for something like this? So you're writing it, and then what do you what do you do after that when it's when the writing is complete? When the writing's complete, then you can either submit it to competitions. Um, that are like related to studios that might give it a look. You can submit it to agents. You can submit it. You can pitch it to um, production houses. And the production houses, basically, their whole job is to get films funded. So if they accept your film, they may just hold on to it in a file, but they have to pay you for that. Or they may want to fund it and have it made. Or I can try to produce it independently and basically try to uh, solicit for funds myself by pitching it to um, investors. Uh, yeah, I mean, I already, I already, my, my um, intuition is that I would pitch it to female production companies because I feel like they would be the ones that would want to promote it. Either that or I also know... <laughs> <laughs> that was a first. That's okay. All right. I was going to say, I also, I also know... Um, some actor producers who like telling military stories. So I already kind of have some ideas, like it, people that like telling military stories um, might want to produce it. And I think also women that are trying to get women's stories out there. Also, it's diverse because I'm Latinx or Latin are the, the more current terms for it. And so that makes it, a, and it's female, that makes it a diverse story. Like Latin female in the military, Latina, Latinx, Latin, <laughs> all the terms. That's you know it's a it's a diverse story. Um, so the main thing is just getting people to read it and seeing who's interested and then deciding. I'm not saying it's that easy. Like you get a script out, everyone wants it, and then you get to choose. It may take years, but um, that's kind of how it works. Is like you either like produce it independently by getting investors, or you try to pitch it to a production company. How much when when you have investors or a company come in like that, like how much creative control do you get to maintain? Is that part of the negotiation process? Negotiations, yeah. And so that's also in how affects how quickly it gets made. Like the more power and creative say I want, it might take longer to get that. Just get someone to buy the script and say do as you will is um, I think easier sometimes than when you want to be 
like more involved because a lot of times they want to take it and rewrite it and that's fine. It just depends. It depends. It's really case by case. Well, in setting, in my experience, like setting clear expectations for relationships too, and I've not written a, a movie, but I know one of the early lessons I had was um, setting clear, and this is part of my quiz list about too, learning this, um, sending, you know, setting really clear expectations or, or thinking we had really clear expectations and you can apply us to really anything. And then a business partner feeling different late, later on and wanting to change that agreement in essence or saying they didn't understand this part of the agreement so i mean this is all you would probably write all this out and it does be very legal at this scale but how much since this is a sounds like a, a project that you're very obviously super passionate and have a strong personal connection to how what do you think about those relations? Like, how much would you be willing to, I don't know, give up is the best term, but let go in terms of creative freedom? It's hard to quantify. I would say I wouldn't mind um, them bringing in another person to help rewrite it in terms of editing, but I would want to be involved through the whole process. That's how I, because I feel like it is my story. Not, I don't mean literally like word for word, uh, my personal story I mean because I'm the writer and it's the story I meant to tell I would want to be involved throughout the whole process even if they did there was another writer involved I would want to be on set and you know not just here's my screenplay do as you will I, I, I'm not willing to do that but in terms of like what money's made and all that I don't know <laughs> just give me a lot of it <laughs> give, me, give, me a check give, with give me a very large sum mm. Like, double millions, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I could imagine that sometimes plays a role, too. If someone says, hey, here's, you know, one company wants to give you $5 million for whatever and says, but we want, you know, we just want the script. There's a great story behind the making of the original Rocky. That's all, I'm sure you know. That's just such a great example in that he was, he was basically living on a mattress with his dog in a tiny apartment and he'd never had a ton of money so it was easy for him to say no to the first offers for like lump sums because he knew he wanted to star in it so he was just committed to what he wanted and he ended up you know not only making more money but making a career so i think that's just like a great example of just staying committed to your intentions i was listening to quentin tarantino recently and it seemed like some of his early success with script writing and uh, producing, um, he part of what, when you hear it, him saying no actually seemed to be the thing that would make the movie, at least for him and his experience. How, how hard is it? I mean, in, when you're talking about rules, opportunities, anything that you're doing in your, in your industry or your business, how hard is it to say no sometimes? It is hard because um, since so many of the opportunities are random and unexpected, um, there's, I often feel like, oh, I need to take advantage of every opportunity. But the more I've been in the business, I've learned to say no. Um, like if, if it's not paying much money or if it's not something I'm excited to work on, I've, I've learned to be more integral to 
it's my life. Why not enjoy it and do what I want? I'm not that desperate ever in any area, just like dating, just like anything else. Like this is my life that I'm designing. And I think when you say no, it's just self-affirming. Like the more you learn to say no, and I don't mean not being open to opportunity, but saying no to something that's out of alignment, um, it's empowering. You're just saying, I know who I am and this isn't it. Well, I'm glad you said yes to uh, this because it's been a ton of fun. It has. Was there anything that you felt particularly compelled to just talk about? Um, only if I wanted to put you on the spot, but, um, no topics really. Didn't put me on the spot. Oh, how's... I'm very excited about... How is Derek and how is your schedule and all of your squares? My schedule and my... Oh, because I've shared my calendar with you sometimes. Yes. Derek sent me his, a screenshot of his calendar and he's very busy with many colored squares filled up uh i think that needs more context because it sounds like it could have been like a uh he's like, showing us that okay i'll be more clear so this is getting really personal but i feel like it's appropriate because <laughs> we're together so um gosh this does feel personal <laughs> it's okay by the uh, way i think busy is a four-letter word so i hope you've never heard me say that i'm busy no did I say that just now? No, you just said it was. You said I. You said I was busy, and I just wanted to share that with you. I purposefully do not ever say that I'm busy. Okay, I'll try to like be concise about this. Yeah, okay. yeah I'm just giving you a hard time. Just sharing. I don't know if you knew that about me, but I, some people didn't notice it because they use busy a lot, and I don't really. I don't always point it out, but I do think of busy as a four-letter word. I find that people use it like it's off-putting. Yeah, people use it as a reason. Sometimes it, like it's an ego feed, like, oh, I'm busy. And I think there's a huge difference between being busy and being productive and prioritizing. Some people get busy because they're not good at planning ahead. Some people get busy because it feels like, let's do this, this, and this, but they're not actually being productive. So I'm very purposeful with those things definitely i agree with that um i don't know if i want to go any further <laughs> did we shut down the personal moment uh-oh i don't know <laughs> I don't, uh... yeah we met at a time when there was a lot of activity in my schedule and you know we also live depending on traffic between la and san diego like a couple hours apart or sometimes we think it's going to be an hour and a half drive and it's like uh, it's like three today it took me three hours and 15 minutes three hours and 15 minutes that's not when i came home time like i looked at the I thought navigation it was, said two and a half and it took three hours and 15 minutes wow I mean, and it, it's, it wasn't even a busy time like friday at 10 30 i mean but friday but i'm saying that time of day is like the yeah. less busy well, it depends on what part you're at, too, because if you're coming on, um, so when the borders were more open, traffic would really be kind of a one-way thing, and it would be going north was really bad, and that's because people literally coming over the border to go work in LA or work all over the place, and then going south um, after work was over or towards the weekend, usually that's the, you cut the bad flow. But I told you. Oops. When would have been the better time to come, 6 a.m.? 
Um, 8 a.m.? I figured rush hour. Yesterday. Okay. <laughs> I'll note it. Yeah. Well, it also depends on like where you came from, too. Just because there's this pocket. And if you go on fine, if you kind of come the back way a little bit. But, um, yeah. I'm glad you could carve out time for this. Speaking of someone that is very productive and has a lot of activity in their life, but very intentional activity, doing the right things and things you enjoy. So, last opportunity. <laughs> My engine's running. Um, I, I guess, okay, I'll just clarify with the squares. So, he sent me a <laughs> picture of his schedule because I was going to come visit and was like, oh, like on a Saturday or Sunday, when were you thinking of coming? And it was like full full day, Saturday and Sunday were full. And I was thinking, oh, looks like you have a lot going on. And um, and then I, I just realized he had a lot going on. Not busy, but a lot, a lot of um, commitments and goals. And so I, we just had the conversation of um, that I would need more squares. <laughs> I'm going to need some more squares. That's good. That's great. But I, uh, with the with the calendar thing, and I think I remember doing that actually. And it wasn't more of a like a, a put off of like, sorry, I'm too busy for you. For me, it was one of the things that I I find challenging in communication is when people are like, what about this time? Or call me then, and things don't happen, or they get missed, or oops, I forgot about that. And I think because of kind of being on the move in that time like I wanted to schedule something but also not play ping pong for two days trying to figure out when so it was like a you know put your name put your name in here somewhere it's totally exciting I'm super happy for it but it's more of like a convenience thing like yeah fill in the fill in the blank you have a probably a pretty you know uh, schedule that is constantly have you know items in it and it's moving and shifting when you get an audition or something like that and so yeah I just found it but it could also be taken like, sorry, not enough time for you, not intentional. Oh no, I don't feel personally offended. It was more about um, just, I think, I feel like I'm, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm just trying to be clear. I don't feel what I'm Okay, I think that you have a lot of, um, things you're involved in and personal goals and with work and personal projects and even health and wellness goals. And and we met at a time when Derek had all his squares mostly <laughs> filled. And and I was just, and he I think you also showed me your daily schedule that you had sent to a friend saying, is this too busy to have a wife and kids? And it was just my realization that I don't think he's that available. That's all. And that was where the squares metaphor came in. It's like, if I'm going to join forces with someone, I need more squares. Mm, that's good. It's good to know. And get that the way in the beginning, too. Was that too much? No, that's fine. I don't really... You can, uh, I mean, you can edit everything out, so... It's really hard for me to feel at this point. Like, it happens once in a while, and I immediately work to put myself in a different position if I feel like that little thing where I... I might feel like, oh, this is like against me or being attacked, you know, that feeling people get regularly. And um, one of my personal quests for several years has been to like reduce self-identity, I think is a good way to put it. And 
sort of be in a space where if somebody says something, there's this rule that I, I started a while ago that I, I liked, and it was if somebody, and there's more, way more layers to it now, so this is probably like seven or eight years ago I started thinking this or saying this, like if someone says something that's not true about you, you can't be offended, it's not true. And if somebody says something that is truth about you, well, it's the truth, so why be offended? And it's way more evolved for me now on that point, but if it's a either an action I'm taking, you know, and it's a reality, then I, I shouldn't feel attacked from it. I should try to get the other person's perspective or figure out, you know, how my actions are being perceived by people or if it's something that I'm not happy with. I think most, like, you know, you can call them negative emotions, but really intense emotions. I just had this happen yesterday with someone where we had an agreement and I saw, you know, actions that were a little off from the agreement. So I just said, hey, that's that's really neat. But I brought the agreement that we had into the conversation and they were super unhappy and felt attacked. They're being held accountable and it wasn't comfortable. Exactly. Right. And I think that's mostly where we get those things from, unless someone is actually like legitimately attacking me. But if that's the case, I, I, I regularly, and this, I actually got this, I think, skill really built from being in sales, like business to business sales and making thousands and thousands of cold calls to strangers to where some people are not super kind when you cold call them, no matter how smooth your script is or whatever, they're just not having a good day. They, you might have been the 50th person to call them. And I remember a very specific moment, I called this guy like up in Dana Point that runs a hotel and uh, he ripped into me. And I got off the phone, I was, I was so, I was like, what? You know, just not, like what an ass. And after sitting there for a couple of minutes, I'm not gonna make another call you know, feeling like that, like the next call is not going to go well if I'm still stuck on the last call. And I was like, how do I get through this? Like, I really got to understand, you know, it's not about me. And I thought like, wow, actually, I, I, I felt really, uh, I did feel some sympathy for the guy in a sense. Like, it was like, to go through your day acting, behaving, feeling like that, like, that's not a good feeling. And it helped me really feel, I wouldn't say better, not like I was like, oh, good, great. I feel great now because that guy, you know, it's all about that guy, that guy sucks. But I did um, uh, find that that like particular lesson to carry in the rest of my life if somebody is saying something to me, even if it's about me, it's most often a reflection of where they're at. And probably the truth is somewhere in the middle between what I'm thinking and what they're thinking. I'm just going to keep nodding. Uh, yeah, it does make <laughs> sense. Yeah. And I I think most of our power comes from when we take 100% responsibility for our interactions. Like that includes not taking things personally because that's a form of blame that they made us feel a certain way instead of just dissecting it and saying, hmm, they said this, hmm, that's on them. And I'm feeling this way. Well, what does that say about me and taking responsibility and ownership for my reactions to it? And then we grow. You know, I'm going to bring it up since you brought it up earlier, the Me Too movement. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. And an experience that I had, when I say 2011, um, 
I got blasted on this gossip site. Like, I mean, it was pretty, for me, just being a, an average Joe, going to community college and, you know, working in wealth management and just whatever, like not being um, in any sort of spotlight whatsoever. It had like 18,000 views at this point. In fact, there's a lot more now and like all these comments from those people. And it was really uh, not a good feeling when I first, and I didn't even know about it until someone texted me and was like, hey, you know, sorry, you're on this site, blah, 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 it's terrible. I can't believe people did that. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? So I go and look and I mean, it was consuming at first. It's like, whoa. Like it was the first time I realized what it felt like to have that much attention, you know, whatever level of attention that was. But reading the comments was really fascinating for me because some people, there were obviously a few people that knew me. It was really interesting how many people came to my defense too in terms of um, like people that did find this website or were Googling me or whatever. Like I didn't Google myself, so I didn't really come across it. Like I was sat there and like, oh, I wonder what the world's saying about Derek today. Um, but the, uh, what it taught me about human nature and how this will tie into the Me Too movement, which is a pretty, you know, I'm really just looking for your, your thoughts on it versus making a, a statement when I get there. Um, but it taught me how much people want to just participate in something. Because there were people that uh, knew me and like one person, someone I dated for a while, they said, I've, I've dated for Derek for three years and blah, blah, blah. And he's super nice and whatever. And I was like, no, it's pretty cool. Um, and there were people that were making all kinds of crazy comments. I'm like, that, there's no way that person knows me. Like, that's not even a, a place I've ever been or something like that, right? And people just wanted to be a part of this story and, and feel like they're participating. It's the only thing I could really come up with. And so knowing that about people and seeing it at a, a small scale like that of, you know, tens of thousands of people um, versus how big things can on social media. Now, when I when I think about something like the Me Too movement, and I bring this up because I know, you know, they just let Cosby out and people are really up in arms about that. And it's, I mean, most people seem to be in agreement, like the guy did some stuff bad, you know, but they're letting him out. How much of when you see something like that, do you go, okay, you, you know, it's a hundred percent true. It's 50% true. It probably happened this many times versus that. Like un your understanding of people is obviously really at a pretty high level from the work that you do and emotion and being able to, to write. So yeah, what are your thoughts on something like that? Well, I think, um, Cosby being released is just a separate issue it's not necessarily um just the me too movement i mean there were several women that came forward it's basically being about that particular incident is just about being held accountable period regardless of what your offense is but there were so many women that said that they got roofied so he just needs to be held accountable in whatever that means i'm not even making a comment on how much time served or anything i'm just saying that's really about accountability the me too movement I think it's a good thing in that many people are being held accountable, but I also think there are, what do you call it, um, downsides to it in that it's um, victim culture being sort of um, celebrated. Like, oh yes, I was raped too, I was raped too, I was raped too, I was hurt too. And it's important to hold the perpetrators accountable, but it's not 
healthy to identify as a victim. And my concern is for women to move forward with their significance being something that was done to them and instead of their significance being what they have to offer. And I think sometimes when we get into a movement like that, like, oh, that was done to me too, it's done to me too. And we're all talking about the bad things that have been done to us. We get stuck in that story. And I think it is important to tell the story, but that's more to support other women and to invite them to share. And then we need to move on and move forward. We don't want to stay victims. It's now, this is something that happened to me. This is not who I am. Who I am is this. It can be, I don't want this to happen to other women. I'm going to go open up a support group at, or a self-defense thing for women. That is healthy, but not staying in the story and talking about being a victim. That's very disempowering. Yeah, I've talked about that a lot before, actually, a few times on the podcast, just in terms of different ways to look at the past, present, and future. And you can feel when you're talking to someone the difference between, and it's, or I can feel it since we've talked about that, like literally feel it when someone is reliving something and they're stuck in a loop versus, you know, working to heal it. And that's not a, a judgment on anybody who is stuck in a loop, but like you said, if we're celebrating it, it you know, it, someone is not going to, gain the strength of overcoming pain. And that means a lot of things for a lot of different people. So, you know, what's really painful for one person may be less painful for another person, depending on their life experience and where they're, where they're at already too. So it's a really tough thing to, to say or even hear sometimes for someone where, you know, they don't understand. Yeah, it's really tricky because I think a lot of women feel dismissed, like you need to move on from that. And that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying you're not what happens to you. There's nothing empowering about that. I think it's it's courageous to tell your story, but that isn't who you are. Like who you are is what you came here to give, not what happened to you. So many people have had traumatic things happen and that's not their legacy. The trauma isn't the legacy. It's what they do with that. They, you know, trauma can be an opportunity for growth. Like, oh, I'm going to go through therapy. Oh, I'm going to pursue some things that are empowering. And now I'm growing. And now I can help other people because I overcame it. And that's really the legacy is the growth and um, taking something negative that happens and overcoming it and helping others to do the same. Yeah, we're talking about the, the dismissive thing, too, because there is a... A sense of that happening with any with any movement, you know, people trying to dismiss it, and that is where I find you know the the fascinating thing about people is that because sometimes too many people want to participate, people that are, that are not being affected by it, they want to be a part of something. They can almost you know ruin. It's probably not the best word, but they can create more dismissiveness because. Uh, someone that wasn't impacted makes a statement, turns out they're lying, and it gets turned out they're really wrong. Well, if that person's doing it, how many other people are, you know, actually just uh, wanting to, to get a feeling of attention and, and not doing it? And that happens in, like, the Black Lives Matter movement. That happens a lot here in San Diego, where uh, I'm surprised that like, the folks that 
are trying to or have, and you see this on dating websites a bunch, or just on the dating profiles of people using it as a form of, I think virtue signaling is like a pretty popular term now, but, you know, look at me, look at me getting attention that um, obviously there should be awareness about it, about it, there, you know, education. I feel like I'm, I'm bringing up your um, profound points here, but I feel like <laughs> there should just be a podcast on talking about online dating experiences. <laughs> there is. Just, just I, I'm, I'm saying you, even I'm just you a doing. I'm going to for my friend's podcast. I was just going to say. Swipe right. Because podcast. there are just so many stories and I, I'm going to tell you that for the most part it's been a disappointment but there's the benefit is that i have (laughs) i'm saying i haven't i haven't i haven't uh i wasn't i wasn't given enough squares i mean um i'm i'm saying i haven't uh i'm single that's what i'm saying (laughs) yeah keep going we want to hear more well i mean that's a whole other podcast stories you know Uh the the catfishing the holding trying to hold someone accountable and then they ghost you and i don't mean hard accountability just being like wait a minute you just said you had a happy father's day but i just found your dad's facebook page and he's calling you uh, a backstabber i'm confused i'm disturbed Whoa. just dishonesty which is why you need to use the quiz which is why i ask questions and i'm not i don't play it cool when i'm use getting the quiz. to know use the quiz the qu- if you do the quiz before a first date you will limit your negative encounters by like tenfold in fact the person that designed the quiz has used it to have a kid with somebody and they're not even together from my understanding maybe they are he's very very like he designed it with some psychiatrists and like probably gonna he's, he's on the path to be a, a billionaire in sense of just how he has managed through life and figured some stuff out super intelligent and he's so convicted in the quiz and me learning about him and learning about the backstory behind the quiz gave me a lot of conviction everyone wants to know what this quiz is you better put the link in somewhere for them because he keeps saying the quiz they're gonna the have quiz. to message me for the it. quiz <laughs> yeah, well, we kind of ruined it because it was part of it. I'm surprised I told you. I do remember actually kind of blowing it a little bit telling you before because there's specific text totally ruining the quiz now. So anybody that ever gets this text from somebody's going to know. And it says, uh, and it's, each word is, is scripted in a way that you get a very good response if you just send this text. And it says, This is not what Derek did to me. He said, there's this narcissism quiz. I'm going to send you the link. And then when I didn't take it, he's like, have you taken the quiz? I'm sorry, that just wasn't incentivizing the way that you described it. Take the quiz. Yeah, you take a quiz on narcissism so I can analyze you. What? Yeah, um, before we, oh, yeah, I, I didn't even do the quiz before we met, too, so I was he way didn't. off. I was wow, way what, off. what were you thinking? Yeah, I missed the But beat. we wouldn't be here today. Maybe, do you think you did? Yeah, that's not a very confident statement in your quiz scores. No, I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying if we hadn't met, I'm not saying that my uh, quiz scores, my quiz scores, I think were good. I don't know. Wait, for, from your, from your, um, Derekometer, the Lacronometer. I'm not the best, um, He's, assessment of books. They were good. good. I don't really believe them. Okay. They weren't good. He's trying to be objective, but I didn't, I didn't I've come across. Way worse. I didn't come across as like a sociopath or I know that I had like high in honesty and genuineness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, you yeah you're 
your quiz scores were good. We'll give it a reading of good. I'm not, Thank I'm not you. Sure how to rank I'm like, why are you trying to tell everyone that I'm like some sort of seedy, shady character by leaving it like untold? No. Well, it it reads well, so many different say, things. I'm not going to say, but reads, I, we'll reads. leave it a mystery because I don't want to uh, criminalize you on this podcast. I feel safe right now, so that's good. Okay. I don't think you're going to stab me with a pen or anything. Um, but so, well, the quiz rates different things. Do it rates honesty. It rates, um, it just has so many different ratings that what one person might see as good or bad, another person could just be like, okay, that's acceptable. You know, so I have to talk, kind of look right. at it. Right, it's, like it's based on your values. Like, do my values align yeah. with this person's values? Oh, they're not willing to deceive enough. That's not going to work for me because I like to... I need someone of, to lie to me more often. Like, someone to tell want, me that I don't look fat in these jeans. I know people that do, like, little lies. They would hashtag those girls in their, um, they would hashtag those girls in their post, like with a pillow stuffed in their shorts, mm. like showing, like a really just a joke of a post. But. Yeah. And whatever works, feed the beast. So, all right, last opportunity. Here we go. For you, too. I'm good. I feel great. <laughs> hey, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for making a black for me. You're welcome. And for being so open and sharing all of the lovely things that you do. You're welcome. See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. <laughs> it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derek Podcast. 